You can move it any way you want. Let's get some excitement in that mouth too. All right, that's it, that's it, that's the brightness. Love it, nice, love it, love it right there, love it like that, love that face. Nice and easy like that, beautiful. No, 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 don't change the leg position. That's, that's super. Lovely, lovely. Nice, 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 nice with that hand. Absolutely lovely. Beautiful. Keep that excitement now. Keep the vibrance in the face. A little more sophisticated now. You know what I'm saying? A little bitchier, okay? Tighten it up a little bit. That's it, that's it. A little less smile. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. I'm Sean Glynis, and I'm here with my co-host, Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Hey, Sean. Doing uh, pretty good. Really excited to talk about this film with you and, and share our guest's uh, interview with everyone today. But uh, first, I was maybe thinking about doing one of um, our signature uh, little surprise tangential intro things, if mm. that's all right. Um I have a bookshelf in my kitchen, mostly just for space considerations, and uh, it's nice to just pick up something off the shelf, like while I'm waiting for something in the oven or something, and just thumb thumb through it. And one of the books I've been doing that with recently, uh, because it has all these really short entries, uh, comes from our good friend uh, Studs Terkel and his seminal book Working, um, which uh, is, you know... Uh, widely regarded and was adapted into a play and I think that musical was adapted into a film itself Um, the gist being that Studs through a period of years interviewed a bunch of people about their jobs and what they do and I was cooking the other day and couldn't help but find myself on the entry for model Um, yeah the chapter is called model um, the model is name is Jill Torrance, um, and she was also working in New York City. Um, this uh, working was published in '72, so you know you're, the interviews were happening in the years before that. So we're we're about ten years prior to Weissman's model, but I still think there'll be some um, interesting connections to maybe lay the groundwork for us. If I could just read uh, the little intro here. So Jill says, I do whatever kind of products anyone wants. This week I had a job for some South American product. They said, we want you to be sexy, coy, pert, but not too effervescent. It always means the same smile and open eyes. For 45 minutes, they tell you what they want. They explain and explain, and you sort of tune out and do the same thing. There are a lot of people there. The person who has the product, the man from the ad agency, a couple of people from the photography studio, the stylist who poses your dress to make sure it hangs right. Suddenly, there are a dozen people standing around, each is telling you to do something else. You know they are even more insecure than you. You pretend you're listening, and you do what you'd plan to do in the first place. When you've worked before a camera long enough, you know what they want, even though they don't. At first, you work very hard and try to discover different looks and hairdos. After a while, you know them all. Someone once asked me, why do high-fashion models pose with their mouths open? They look like they're catching flies. This look has been accepted for a long time. They want everything to be sexy, subtle, or overt. 
After a while, it's automatic. Now the natural look is in, jumping up and down or staring out there. What's natural about looking into space? They want you natural, but posed. How can you feel natural with three pounds of makeup and some ridiculous costumes standing there and looking pretty? What they think of as being natural is very phony. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's almost as if that's straight out of Serafita's diary. (laughs) It is. Uh, Yeah, that could have been its own uh, scene in that film uh, for sure. But I think a lot of the experience and themes uh, Jill is expressing are uh, very much uh, part of this film we'll be talking about today. Yeah, yeah. And obviously it's from a book called Working, and this film is very much about labor. That film being um, Frederick Wiseman's model from 1981, uh, his 14th film, um, as you mentioned we have a guest that uh, we talked to in the second half. That is one Robert Greene, uh, probably most known uh, for his uh, nonfiction films, um, such as Procession from last year and Katie with an Eye, Fake It So Real, Kate Plays Christine, actress. Um, and also uh, he uh, is an editor for Alex Ross Perry. Um and also just a big Wiseman head. Um, <clears throat> so I hope that you enjoy that later. But uh, Model, so Model came out in September, on September 16th, 1981, I believe. And, uh, on on uh, PBS, uh, premiered at London Film Fest the November prior. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's probably why there's some wonkiness with like 80, 81. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and shot in the fall of 79. Um, and it's about, uh, this model agency in New York city, Zoli, uh, which I don't think exists anymore. Um, but basically we see like this turnstile of, of models coming in and out, getting feedback, getting approved, getting denied similar way that we see in welfare. Um, and we also get to see some commercials being made, a lot of print ads shot and, uh, Wiseman also, um, attaches himself to a documentary crew that, that happens to come through, which, um, it's just kind of weird to think about, right? Like he pro- he didn't think you can't think that he knew that that was going to happen. Who knows? I mean, like I think they they kind of show up at a they show up at the hotel with the two models and and Warhol, and they show up. A well, bit he hears late. them on the phone beforehand, right? Like there, well, there's there's the ones they want models for like a documentary pilot called like all those beautiful girls or something yeah, yeah. like that. I mean, there, there's a lot of ways that the outside world seems to be interested in and interacting with this like model fashion bubble, uh, you know, but like later on, there's also these interviews with uh, an agent, I think, at a shoot. Um, and I'm not sure if it was like a documentary or a news segment or something. Um, but I did do my best to find <laughs> what it might've been and, and I couldn't turn anything up. Well, I, that, that's funny. I, I was just going to say like, what a different movie this would have been without that documentary crew, like passing through. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure he, uh, would have found different methods to express his report of what he saw. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> but but it it is extremely fortuitous just the ways in which it uh, interacts with the other sequences of the film in terms of uh, image production and framing and like reality and uh, 
cultural the ideology. Vertovian, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Vertovian ideas of representation, as we, we can get into, um, uh, which is, you know, we, we've, we've seen reference to Vertov with Wiseman kind of a lot, like more than maybe any other filmmaker. You know, it, it's interesting. I think just last week I went to a screening at the SF Silent Film Festival of oh, right. this like uh, unearth Virtov film, uh, the history of the Civil War uh, that you know hasn't been around. It just got restored and it was thought lost, you know, for a hundred years or whatever. Um, and I couldn't help but watching it uh, and be like, this this guy had it all figured out already. You know, like everything we've been engaging with in Weissman in terms of the way he, uh, what he shoots, the material he captures in order to then edit, uh, you know, his films together just seem to be, to be, uh, so Weismanian. Um, uh, just like, you know, the way we got these in-church shots or the way he shoots people's faces. Um, but, you know, it, it, it left me thinking, God, uh, how, how far how much farther along would western documentary be if it had an opportunity to grow out of virtov instead of flaherty um but (laughs) but like because because in the 60s you know uh it wasn't until the 60s that virtov's work started really being uh, shown in the west and that's you know coincided very well with the advent of technology that made you know cv and direct cinema possible um uh, but uh, just a thought yeah Interesting. Um, well, uh, yeah, I wonder if if, we'll, if it'll keep popping up. But um, we have some contemporaneous reviews, as always, and it's funny and not at all surprising that as we return to the states and away from Wiseman's abstract military films, that we get the whole crew back. Uh, we have, uh, or at least most of them: David Denby, John J. Yeah. O'Connor, James Walcott. Although that review proved a little too hard to find. But um, but it's like they all came out of the woodwork to review again. Right. Yeah. Uh, ha- happy to see them. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> so we have uh, David Denby. Um, for some reason, I didn't put the publication. Do you remember what that? Oh, uh, it's New York Magazine. Okay, New York Magazine. Um, and he says uh, he says the film surveys the fashion world, but uh, says it's a place where like beauty and intelligence and character have all been like put aside in in favor of this as he calls it ruthlessly arbitrary definition of style mm. uh which i think is a good characterization and um in particular denby fashion that we've seen so far it kind of gets to the core of the film in this very concise way um and uh what yeah yeah <laughs> he he, th- he thinks about the title as well but um he, he says that the movie is a sardonic look at a system that elevates craft above art, artifice above experience. Um, and I think he also talks about the onlookers the same way that we yeah. talked about them with Maneuver. Um, like, they represent this this sort of critical distance, and he's sympathizing with them. Yeah, that they're they're those, like, quote-unquote, real people, and, like, the models are the, the fake people. You know, we have, like the scene of um someone else comments on of like this one model with like a letter in her mouth <laughs> like a dog kind of and then there's actually a shot of a dog watching her and she just like keeps walking down the same stretch of sidewalk <laughs> uh like cupping her breast in different ways uh while like 
the real people just walk down the sidewalk you know repeatedly like like you know yeah, like yeah. the the idea that like as we get later on in the the scene the commercial shoot like pantyhose scene where the one model's just walking down the steps over and over again but like the ways in which this like i was just reading from working there's this like natural look that everyone's trying to achieve um but it's like completely constructed and unnatural and like uh labored you know like if you want to be natural film any of these people that weissman is capturing on the margins right like that is uh the natural uh yeah yeah Yeah, not to jump too far ahead but that reminds me of um we'll get back to the reviews but uh dan armstrong's piece for this where he talks about um talks about the the idea behind shooting outside um and he brings up this this contemporaneous essay about this like burgeoning american need to be seen in a crowd Mm. and which immediately brings to mind like the, the the hosiery ad but also like the bus stop uh commercial that they're shooting yeah. Hmm? You waiting for the bus? Yeah. Looking good today. Hey, what do you say about having a cup of coffee while you wait for the bus? Hmm? Sure. Do you mind? No. I'd like, like to get to know you. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that, like, the hook of the ad is that you're noticed. And right. that the agency, like Armstrong connects this idea to like the agency's main goal is to sell and to perform personality, like the kind of personality that would get you noticed in a busy place like New York. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, again, I don't I don't know where this is all going for us, because like there's so many things to talk about here and there's so much writing and there's like each scene is just packed with you know a a half hour more conversation but um the i mean that's what's being sold here is this idea of like your individuality i guess Mm -hmm. like your the 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 individualist idea you know we talk a lot in the second half about like going into the reagan era but like this this rugged individualism i guess uh as expressed through beautiful uh women and products yeah well well maybe to bring it back to the to the reviews there's a new yorker uh review which i don't i didn't see the author's name on the clipping um but veronica gang veronica gang um who talks a lot about the city um the presence of the city and what the city is like um and this like contrast that we also talk about in the in in the, the second half but this contrast between like um trying it over again and then just like seeing people outside like sort of just naturally creating that that feeling um which that review it's like it it doesn't do a whole lot but it, it <laughs> yeah. just kind of like hangs on to one one idea and just like goes with it yeah, I mean, it, it's like a very New Yorker way of engaging with that. It's like so much yeah. traffic in New York, but here all the cars are going, and yeah, and that seems to slay the groundwork. Like so she calls like the people we see, the regular people, the model of casual mobility, uh, which is 
probably not a major interest for Weissman in this film, you know, but right. just kind of interesting to see what, what people latch onto in it because there is so much. Right. And we have John J. O'Connor from the New York Times, who we last saw on Canal Zone, where his interest in Wiseman was renewed uh, after waning previously. But and he, I'd say he's positive here. He says he says people are reduced to objects peddling a look. And he mentions the, the party scene where the models are used as like actual objects in the room, right. um, which is great just in itself. This like this scene of people it's just like oh yeah absolutely every time no more thank you you are a master you are an incredible businessman it's it almost looks like a happy hour kind of thing like people are just like around drinking like cocktail party but with a lot of people in this room and then you have the models that are acting like mannequins and people are kind of coming up and talk to them but Wiseman shoots it sometimes from the side of a mannequin, an actual mannequin in the crowd. So it looks like they're like mingling with the crowd too. (laughs) And it's, it's just like this, this fantastic uh, way that he is like constantly conflating the real and the hyper real as Trello Dango would call it. But um, like the fake and the real and the simulation. um, And it's, it's uh, just one of the many, and and that scene has another great instance of like self self reflexivity which is big in this one of like there's almost a standoff between Davy and another cameraman at the party and yeah, they're just yeah. like filming each other's lenses like who's going to blink first you know and there's <laughs> and there's this like stoic model in the middle who's like you know not even looking at either he's playing the mannequin decoration basically for the party <laughs> but like like yeah it's just um again like like that scene lasts god like you know three minutes maybe you know but i Mm -hmm. mean it's just so infused with uh all of the themes of the film yeah yeah um and i know like we so we talk like every episode or at least i do about like this idea of diminished autonomy and um uh or in the various ways that Wiseman shows how institutions are teaching people to be self-disciplined in order to be good citizens yada 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 um i wonder if like here with model and next with the store if we're seeing sort of like something deeper than like diminished autonomy if possible like um like capitalism like sucking out the soul of people right until they're husks like going back to this alienated labor which i think we can talk about later as well but um uh we're seeing like this visual motif with the mannequins and also language about that um and then i think about the store i'm sure we'll talk about but like you know a guy interacting with like a sable coat that's just hanging on a hanger (laughs) as if it's a person um and I don't know, it just seems like the abstract conclusion of like, you know, like where the goal of your labor is to be an empty model. Yeah, well, um, this is bringing to mind something Grant noted uh, and placing this in a trilogy with a store, but one that starts with meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says that it's a trilogy of packaged souls. Yeah. Um, and in like last episode with maneuver, we were talking about like the soldiers 
have already gone through the process of high school and basic training of being institutionalized and like they're already operating under that ideology now. And in model, we don't get any resistance at all. They, in fact, models right. seem all too willing to be subjugated and like uh, uh, used willy nilly. Like, like I think two different models tell us something along lines like I don't think, or you know, yeah, yeah, like, like they just do what they're told. Yeah, like, like happily, and and I mean, I guess the the one of the major differences of that as it relates to like labor and and materialism is like they are well compensated for doing that mm -hmm. in a way that the the people being institutionalized in previous films haven't been well uh we we talked on the the meat episode about uh how armstrong like traced his politics from like liberal reformism to like this materialism mm -hmm. and that that becomes more sophisticated with meat and he notes that one of the big differences is something in in something like meat and model from something like welfare is that Wiseman recognizes that the systems in these films is most harmful when it's just working the way it's supposed to. Like, it's not about the gap between ideology and practice so much. Um, although there are like, there are contradictions with which Grant mm, does yeah. like this great job of no, of like, um, like sort of like creating a taxonomy of, um, and, and Wiseman has like just a particularly good ear for for like catching moments where that show like sort of the the, the cracks in an institution's institution's logic, um, like we in, on high school you know we talk about the double blind um, or the double bind um, <laughs> of like uh, double blind is his uh, sequel to blind, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know stuff like being an individual but not here uh, or yeah. like be a man but you know don't stick up for yourself here. Like just, yeah, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, like you said, you, we get this, like, I don't think, uh, thing after getting like this, this, uh, what is it stuff about like how other models aren't thinking enough. Like that's one of the, the criticisms. And, um, it just makes me think of like how ideology is something that is internalized and it's like from the top down and it's, there's like a, a tacit internalization mm -hmm. of the institutional actors and that are carrying that out. It's not like this science that everybody is like operating on that they've yeah. like, w like willfully learned. And so like, there's always like this human factor in, in Wiseman's films. I think too, like it's a mistake to only think of the models as the subject of institutionalization because it's everyone we see too. Uh, mm. the, the institution, you know, the, the people creating and, and like you said, like top down approach to ideology, they're not really present. You know, I don't think any anyone at the agencies, none of these advertisers are necessarily consciously thinking about like I am going to perpetuate, you know, capitalist yeah. ideas and ideas of what it is to be American and all these kind of things. They're just trying to sell a product, right? And make the clients happy. Um, but it's like, you know, two or three or four levels above them that, you know, that is the intended purpose. But yes. Um, and kind of going back to what you were saying, um, like meat, when I first watched model, like a few months ago, uh, meat was like the first like thing, um, that popped in my head, uh, which I feel like now is just recurrent on every episode, <laughs> but, um, we're just like, Oh, meat, like meat is the keystone, 
Mina's the Keystone Wiseman project, which is so funny because yeah. you think like, you know, as we talked about on that episode, like nobody goes, I want to watch meat, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and that it has blossomed in, for me at least, like into this thing that is like the, the like map <laughs> or yeah. this like, this like central uh, figure that everything can kind of like come back to. And it's not just like this, you know, muckraking Montfort plant thing. Um, yeah, I know. Really you you bring up that like Charlie um, at the board meme uh, in our conversation with Robert, but I mean, we're kind of becoming that. I want. <laughs> I, I wonder. I wonder, like, if we could draw any kind of like instructive useful map between these films yeah. of like, like national you know, gallery yeah. does come back to me this way um, um but it's funny yeah. too uh for me because one of the things that that uh came up for me was this line in hoop dreams um where it was at the the nike all-american camp that william goes mm-hmm. to and they're interviewing like college coaches and scouts. And this is this one independent scout. Um, I think his name's Bob Gibbons. Um, but he just comes out and says it like flat out. He's like, it is a meat market and it's mm-hmm. my job to serve up quality meat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, that that's model, you know, in a nutshell. Yeah. And, and uh, Armstrong says something similar, like model is like the, the fresh meat market or whatever but like that the point of bringing up me is to like make these connections of like creating this like physical commodity and like uh i think grant says stuff about like the different cuts of beef is like them like siphoning off like people into different Mm. types of like oh you're good for athletics like you're good for like fashion you're good for this type of thing um and but also like we talked about with meat being like the the beginning of like that that like post Fordist like packaging the American dream thing. And now in model, like the post Fordist like assembly line is images. It's yeah. creating this image and it's about the, the consumer, um, the, the consumer, um, the, uh, draw to this image and the ideal that like I can attain this image through consumption. And that being like, you know, I can realize this dream through this image totally and i think that uh for me there was a really explicit moment of that in an early scene i think it was a toyota ad um uh but it was like a japanese film crew and i think Mm -hmm. maybe maybe a part japanese model um but like they're shooting it uh the models are in front of like a helicopter that's in front of all these american flags that's in front of the manhattan skyline in the background and it's like you know god like what what is the image that is being perpetuated here you know it's like again like i don't know how conscious they are and again i think this might have been targeted towards like japanese consumers um it's hard to say but like uh you know what is i guess the it's it's kind of a feedback loop like when you say like this image you might be good for a sporty look or you're more of a family look or an avon thing it's like uh uh how did those ideas come into being and how uh, is meaning uh, connoted by my saying that like, like sporty doesn't have any inherent meaning, you know, it's like, so like this, you know, it's interesting to think about like Japanese uh, photographers, 
doing like, oh, we're in America. We're going to do America, right? We're going to make this like American looking ad to uh, perpetuate this image of like success and wealth and like uh, uh, just, you know, individualism um, and, you know, but but wealth uh, especially because I'm in America and this is what the product does. The product will make you, you know, into this ideal, right, by purchasing it. Yeah. Well, it goes back to Denby's like ruthlessly arbitrary definition of style. <laughs> yeah, like, right. like this is all arbitrary. Uh, but like, I forgot about this scene. The the this movie, like, even though it's only like 129 minutes, there's so many scenes in it and so many memorable scenes that it's funny. Like when you go to read uh, all of the scholarship on it. Yeah. Um. Sometimes, like, like so, I did that and then I rewatched it yeah. and I was like, oh why didn't anybody write about this? Or totally. like we, I, we talk a lot or Robert talks a lot about the protest scenes. And I was just yeah. like, how did nobody write about that? Like Pe- people really focus in on the documentary crew. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like across reason. the writings. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's very productive, but I mean, yeah, like we're saying like every sequence in this seems like so uh, packed with, <laughs> but me. then there's also like that Japanese ad or the car ad, whatever, like, there is the stuff that you're talking about. And then there's just the absurdity of watching them like move forward and backwards and forward and yeah, backwards right. and do this stupid thing. <laughs> and they're trying to be like so prestigious. I think that's one of the key uh, methods Weissman employs in the film is including all the repetitions that we never yeah. see in the ads. The ads are right. so clean and, and they project all this like, refinement um but here we are like you know they can't walk three steps right the right way you know <laughs> like like it takes like like you know like kubrick shelley duvall levels of takes yeah, yeah. Uh, to to achieve the the performance that they're after um but i mean even in in this scene another uh thing that comes up is weissman is shooting into this mirror um that they're using to reflect the light onto the models which is something they do also later on in the uh, documentary scene um but just prior to that there's uh just kind of a more traditional one-on-one photographer model scene for like cufflinks maybe or something like that um with like this yeah it's so good oh boy there you go now what's that oh i love the face everything's perfect Romeo. No, I want you to tip it. Yes. Watch your sleeve there. Watch the pocket. Pull that arm back a little. Lift the shoulder and put there. Straighten up now a little. Turn that way a little. You did it. It's done. Move that gold card around a little bit there. Get a little hotter up around the eye there. He'll tell you. Oh, that's real nice. Woo! All right. La 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 la. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but like, like behind him, there's this like kind of black, glossy. I don't, I don't even know what to call it, but it's warped and it it warps his image. And the mirror they're shooting into for the Toyota ad warps the image of the models. And I think you know it's the 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 shower part of the documentary is presenting this warped uh, uh constructed reality so the ways that this visual motif i guess uh under underlies this theme of like 
constructed reality distortion of reality and and asks us as viewers to think about uh, by just the prevalence of, of their inclusion, like, you know, what is being distorted here? I can see there's visual distortion. Like, what does it mean? You know, why, why, why is he doing that? And, and it's just, God, it's just a fun film to watch. You know, it's a fun yeah. film to, to think about all those questions and, and just like be uh, kind of led by the hand and then like like by Weissman but then like oh I want to look at this and then like you're jerked the other way and then like you notice something else and your mind goes on a whole another path but like god well, I, th- I think yeah it is and I think it might be the one that is like really uh, like ripe for rewatching a lot because at totally. least for me I like there's so much going on all the time that sometimes you just want to like take a break and be like yeah yeah. Uh, yeah okay I get it like they're dancing and it, like this is a perfect example where um you know it's at the end of the movie and it's right before the um right before the uh the fashion show and there's just sort of like uh we uh, we also didn't uh i didn't read anything on the um singing telegram which is funny talk about about in the store but uh more but um anyway there's this like dance scene like party between like the models and stuff before the the catwalk And I was just kind of like watching it after watching like two hours and just kind of like taking a break and enjoying it, like just mentally sort of fatigued from like thinking yeah, yeah. about <laughs> everything that's going on. And then I, I read um, the letterbox um, review from Jesse Cataldo, that our past guest, and he made this great point about uh, saying that this moment is like where they're 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 able to like let loose and uh, it allows them to momentarily assert like impromptu control over their bodies before going mm-hmm. back to being yeah. used as instruments. That's good. And yeah. yeah. And I was just like, Oh, that's so good. Like there's just so much in here that like my brain like takes a break momentarily between stuff, especially like when you're kind of used to that with some of his later uh, uh, editing rhythms Yeah, uh, where he kind of like gives you breathers. Yeah. Um, one, one, yeah. one of those things for me in this is just like, you know, they should come out with a model original soundtrack because it goes, you know, it's like they're in that yeah, scene. Yeah, it's like Funkadelic and Michael Jackson and there's like M and B-52s and Stevie Wonder. Like uh, that, that was just like a very pleasurable part of this movie, the era in which it's filmed. Um, uh, which uh, just talking about that scene, though, uh, going back to Denby, uh, that, that was, that was a part I was, a, uh, maybe in disagreement with him on where he says that that scene captures the human spirit at its nadir. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel like the whole rest of the movie is that <laughs> like, this is this one moment of, yeah, like Jesse was saying kind of bodily autonomy and just like joy and, and, uh, a purposelessness that's nowhere else to be found like everything is happening for like very specific reasons except in this kind of moment of jubilation one thing i i did, i found that weird too but one thing i did uh like that he mentioned in that passage was saying that i believe he called it um uh felini-esque mm-hmm. and and i was like 
I don't think I've heard that with Wiseman before, but I definitely think that that is a fruitful uh, reference point for like how much um, they share uh, a sense of humor about things and like this like love of like the pageantry of the absurd and just yeah. life in in various ways. Um, I, I so I like that part of it, but yeah, I, I think yeah, it's, it is interesting to think about. He hasn't come up before, but you think about something like you know La Dolce Vita or Eight and a Half that like present this very like glamorous image uh, that people use to kind of like reinforce uh and and continue to project the glamour that's all they see is the glamour in it but within the films are these like very strong critiques of all of that glamour and and that whole milieu right and i think that that's something uh interesting about weissman and model is like you know i think there as we talk about a bit later like there is a part of him that is taken in by all of this and like you think about 1979 in new york i mean like this is a a time that like is uh, very revered i guess just with people like uh, artistically minded folk you know like the scene in new york at the time of like hip-hop and like keith herring and basquiat and like you know like talking heads and you know just the whole scene like everyone kind of thinks of that as like the real new york (laughs) you know right, right. in retrospect um but like it, it it would have been hard not to be taken in by just that whole uh milieu and and i think that's probably part of what led to seraphita's diary um mm. was mm-hmm. just like you know the there is an appeal to this and like can can i you know play in the sandbox a little bit <laughs> get get out of my thing that i'm doing all the time and, and try something right. else yeah yeah, yeah, we should talk about Serafita uh before we get to the second part a little bit. But um but before I forget, you were you were kind of talking about this mirror stuff a little bit ago and like distortions and the way that he's playing with that. And also you're talking about the sort of seduction of the um commercial image making and um to kind of talk about the ways that he sets himself apart from those things I think is is useful like just by showing like the uh, people on the phone being like, they wanted somebody like outgoing and like all American, like yeah. just the, that as well as like some of the the questions that we see the documentary crew asking that are like coercing meeting meaning um, yeah. and like distorting like an idea of what this is. Um, but Wiseman is able to like set himself apart from these things by being self-reflexive and, right. um, and Mamber's diary on this is like goes very long on on this concept alone of being self reflexive, but but you know basically like he does it. He's self conscious through like zooms that we've talked about and and movement generally, long takes, just a lot of stuff that reminds you that you're watching a documentary. Um, and like Robert says later, like he's always telling you that you know you're watching a documentary. Um, or like we talked about in maneuver of showing that reporter that great scene of him restaging it um, is the very same idea of like sort of breaking through this artifice and showing you um, that he's also thinking about that. Um, Yeah. I I think the, there's this idea of masks um, uh, and, and Weissman removes the masks, uh, whether it's like, you know, the mask of makeup or of commerce or whatever. And, and through his methods, you know, he's, he's, 
removing all those masks. Um, uh, you know, we, we talk later about his uh, references to his own work uh, throughout the film, which I think is just like, it's very fun for Weissman heads mm-hmm. to just like call those out. Um, but I think he, he's also engaging with this world in a, in a way uh, that um, he, he's identifying with to some degree. Um, I'm thinking of there's a scene, uh, you know, there's a lot of scenes of rejection at Zoli agency of models, like hopeful models coming in and being told, you know, this or that, uh, get more shots or whatever. But like there, there's this one where they're talking to this male model and to get some variety with your look, you really should do some sporty things too. And I don't have to concentrate on, uh, you know, serious pictures. I can get the casual informal absolutely Uh a lot of smiles a lot of energy you know and i just think about weissman hearing that and like maybe his experience trying to get funding for films or like you know what critical receptions for films and just like uh you know relating to that that rejection uh it was kind (laughs) of interesting yeah that's funny um we, we also had a, a benson and anderson article which for some reason was not in reality fictions but right, they yeah. basically like focus a lot on language and um like they did in high school but um they kind of settle in on how language is used to describe like a particular desired culture and and how it's used to communicate with and objectify and ultimately alien alienate the models but they i think they make a, a good point to say like Wiseman isn't just using this to like, you know, wag his finger and be like, this is objectification. Um, this is bad, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But like that he's able to like flip the objectification of the model and like take into account the fact that they are um, treating themselves as commodities and taking like this praise that they get and finding out how much they can, how much money they can make and um, like, just treating themselves as like this this premier commodity that that they think deserves to be paid well is an interesting wrinkle rather than just saying like oh they're being objectified totally yeah the the language thing was big they talk about the way uh praise is like a tool to induce you know the the kind of expressions that are productive for the companies uh, the agencies and the products um and like even even no matter what they say going back to the the working passage you know it uh i found it really hilarious in in that first scene with romeo like no matter what she says he's making the exact same face you know, I know. <laughs> he's like may, maybe he'll he'll shift it the direction he's looking a tad but like he he does not move he's like stone face but like you know him and like Apollonia too and this is probably part of what Weissman was taken with I mean like they're just like you know stunning and beautiful in this very chiseled cheekbone sunken cheek like just like uh, Mm -hmm. all the things we've been conditioned uh, to see as beautiful and I think that's something also that this film is asking us to reckon with is is our own conditioning as viewers Um, I guess kind of in, in a similar way to that uh, maneuver asked us those questions and in the way that, that Robert Greensworth asked us those questions. Um, but like, like, you know, we see a certain kind of face and we're already ascribing so much meaning to that. And like, you know, one of the documentary interviewers says, what, what do you think about it? The models generally have a kind of either kinky 
or stupid or kind of a bad rap. Yeah. They've gotten a bad rap. And it's just like, you know, okay, I see this face. It's a blank slate. It has no depth. It means nothing, uh, but it's beautiful, and uh, I want to buy what's next to the face, you know, and that's like that's yeah. the productive meaning of it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I think you know, among the many things this film is doing, it's it's asking the audience to interrogate that that element of their own participation in like uh, uh, cultural hegemony and like image production and the reception of images as it relates to like perpetuating ideology. For sure. Uh, well, did, you wanted to talk about the Armstrong piece. Well, we got to talk about it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like he wrote a he wrote about this. Film. He wrote it. We got to talk it, about it. <laughs> well, we read it. We read so much. You know, I, I don't know. We got it. He has not contacted us since the last episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, please uh, get the word out to him. But um, you know, again, we have this like Marxist uh, analysis. Um, you know, going off of Althusser. Um, in particular and the you know it's interesting we were talking about in the last episode how it was kind of refreshing to to have this lens to view Weissman's work and here he explicitly addresses that that up until this point like a class analysis of Weissman just like hadn't been really considered which is interesting and like looking back on it it seems to be like one of the main lenses we have to to analyze his work right um but like um you know there's the self-reflexivity uh idea here as well uh, and reflecting on the earlier films insofar as they exist on the level of cultural reproduction that is examined in the film so you know something we talk about in the second half with robert is is this idea that you know weissman is involved in image production in much the same Mm -hmm. way that the people he's documenting are um but the way that he, the way that he, uh, he avoids being like, uh, I think he talks about the, the filmmaking of this crew or, or just like image making or the commercial making, commercial making being like this slick and deterministic, uh, type of image making right. where by being self-reflexive, Wiseman is incorporating the labor that it takes to make it. Right. Yes. Like he's he's not pushing. He's not he's not just like pushing like an image um, that it just arrives. I mean, this is like the basic basis of like commercials that we watch now that we've just all internalized. Is like that this is just an image that's here now, and not thinking about like the actual production that it took to create that. Yeah, and and you know, again, that's about including all the repetitions. It's about including the discussions behind the camera. You know, one of my favorite lines is that, uh, that jerk director of the pantyhose ad who just, the way he delivers this line about them bumping into each other. Donna, you bump into him, the shock look is terrific. And then this way, this way, then it kind of, oh, come on, with a smile. You know, it's like, oh, come on. It's a little silly. A little, yeah. You know, with a big smile. That's all <laughs> something that is not in the final hosiery commercial, right? That, yeah. You know, and, and you see there's this, like, uh, kind of perverse pleasure of seeing the final product. That's, again, something that Weissman 
uh, very thankfully, I'm grateful that he included that, you know, uh, he allows us finally one kind of like audience pleasure of this thing that's been worked up to. And then he shows it to us. Um, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, you see, I'm just, you see that moment when they actually do bump into each other and you, and you know, she does walk down the steps and you think about all of the conversations and discussions they had about, Oh, come on. Or like take a pause Mm -hmm. on this step or whatever. And I'm just like, none of that is present here. You know, it just, it it doesn't matter. You could have said nothing. And like, here we are. For sure. Um, yeah. And, and the other commercial that we get to kind of see being made is that bus stop one um, where the mm. woman like runs into the guy at the bus stop where he's supposed to think young executive and if she like hits on him or whatever and asks if he wants to get coffee. But um, uh, what's uh, really special about the way that Wiseman shoots that is that <clears throat> he shoots it first from um, the monitor. And mm. so we're watching like from the monitor, the image, we're watching the frame. And then on the second cut, Davey moves the camera and goes in front of them and just shoots them without anything in between them. And then right before uh, the scene's over, like cuts back to the monitor as just like this, you know, sly way of showing you however you want to put it, like uh, that there are different ways to see this or, you know, it makes a difference that you're seeing it this way through this monitor and not through here and, I don't know. Again, just being self-reflexive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that scene uh, made me think of the audition scene in Mulholland Drive um, <laughs> with Naomi Watts. Um, but um, I guess just and also also the sh- the shower scene real quickly, like the which we've talked about, but like the fact that he's po- like he shoots it in the mirror to show you what the camera crew is showing you yeah. like so that you can see what you can see what that documentary footage of this guy who actually has underwear on uh but they're making him look nude like not mm-hmm. only is wiseman wiseman's not just poking fun at this documentary crew but showing you the nature of the image and like going like people who watch this will think that he's nude like <laughs> yeah yeah that's the idea yeah and and it's cool just you know Davey in only his second film, you know, he's, he's really showing his chops throughout, you know, uh, and it's interesting how he reacts in real time to what's being talked about. Like in that moment in the shower, one of the, the interviewer asked the model, like, do you think of yourself as a sexual object? And that's when Davey zooms out. Uh, and he's like, you know, in his underwear, full package, you know, just like washing his hair. It's like, what other way is there to see this? <laughs> you're shooting him, you know, like mostly nude in a shower is like, you're, you're, you're perpetuating this, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, so it's, it's, uh, and I guess then, you know, Weissman, you know, who, who, knows how that worked in the moment if Weissman was like zoom out on that I doubt it but he at least recognizes it in the edit you know right and yeah and uh I think you know we could see how this even early on uh would become a very productive collaboration yeah for sure um and we also talk about it uh in with Robert but um just I I just want to say like emphasize this Warhol scene and just like how incredible this is. Like, yeah, it's, it's the, I mean, it's gotta be the biggest 
figure in a film since Nixon in Law and Order, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh has to be. That's a good question. Yeah. But um but like when you first see it, you're like, oh my god, it's Warhol. And then like you're able to like realize what he's doing there by putting him there, like smack dab, like literally in the center of the movie. Yeah. Um models who really can wear clothes, they they you know, they they're so tired of it because they work so much yeah. with it. They, yeah. You know, then they wear funny things just yeah. Uh, yeah. to, you know, get around and stuff. Girls especially, you know, the real beautiful girls that look so great in clothes. They, they never wear those good clothes. No. Mm -hmm. And they're the only ones that look good in them, you know. Really? And, and it would be just so terrific. I saw one beautiful girl come in on a, on, from a ghost or something, and she had a, uh, a green fatigue jumpsuit you know and it's just like wow you know it's just like well she does just peel it off and then she jumps into a beautiful silk dress or something and there's the dividing line between reality and illusion oh, yeah. right there yeah. i just want it but they're well you're the people that really look so great in clothes i mean you know i don't know you should you should uh, well it's a lot of work and uh, it's mm -hmm. hard it's nice though, and the weekends, I don't like to shave. Right, you know, you just like to relax, because all yeah. week you are worrying about your looks. Right. We can just let the hair go, whatever. It's a nice feeling. I didn't shave today because I figured, well, maybe they want it real. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I didn't shave. And uh, Robert talks about the whole passages um, before and after the, uh, that make this great uh, sequence, but. Um, and Cholodenko talks about it, although I think it's a bit opaque the way that he talks about it. Like, he has, like, some funky uh, academic language that, like, kind of gets a little in the weeds. Um, but, and then and then you read Barry Keith Grant, who mentions it, and it's, like, two sentences. It's like, <laughs> oh, you got it. Like, but, um, but uh, I mean, they're doing different things. But anyway, just For this sure. idea of having Warhol as, like, this guy who made uh art out of like the everyday consumer good mm -hmm. while talking to these models who are talking about um their weekend real life versus like the weekend or the versus the real life that they are projecting during work yeah. and like you know not shaving because i thought that they would want some real and it's just like it's it it's perfect. Like it, it, it is like a Pantheon Wiseman scene for me where it's just like, holy cow, like just operating <laughs> on a different level. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny too, cause I think it's clear why Warhol's in model. What's not clear is why he's in the room with these two guys at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like what, uh, I guess he's just like yeah. talking about clothes with them. Yeah. Like, well, you guys just look so yeah, good. You look, you're the ones who look good in clothes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, th I like, I, I, uh, also really enjoyed the Cholodenko piece and like, because, you know, we've talked about ideas of like, uh, Bogiard and like, uh, simulacrum before simulacrum, yeah. and like, you know, the, the first model we see in the film is not a, a person at all. It's a, it's a b giant billboard, you know, on, on the streets of New York somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so like the ways in which our introduction to the to the subject at hand is not 
is in itself uh like a, a cultural replication you know the simulacra of the real thing um yeah and and then you know it just spirals out from there um but you know i think i think it's it, it's a very productive way to engage with the film for sure and you see like yeah just like seeing this movie again and also like engaging with the text and talking like it has just kind of like um really grown on me but like you know the first time i see this photographer talk who is talking about his leftist friends and mm. how you realize republicans go outside like every time you go outside new york you the world's republican um and he's trying to kind of also talk about how out of touch that that he is with the the rest of the country yeah um and and the first time you see it, it's just kind of like entertaining, or at least I thought so. But like this time, really being able to like find like uh, how that fits in with like this, the way that uh, New Yorkers have like bought into this like sim- simulacrum of like the world, totally. And it it is uh you know just uh yeah. made after I mean, my that, own midwestern heart that photographer clearly never watched welfare <laughs> didn't see the guy arguing with the security well, guard hof- you know <laughs> hopefully he hopefully he uh got to see monrovia in the end when he came <laughs> yeah. to to the uh lincoln center um I mean, something I guess that makes me think of too that that a couple of the writers picked up on. You know, we've talked about this being on the the eve of the Reagan era, um, but there's also this uh, looking at it in retrospect, the specter of AIDS right. um, that w- was about to to come down and on this whole community. And in fact, Zavi, the head of the agency, died of AIDS in '82. Um, mm. But like that is uh, something that's not present in the film because it, it wasn't present while shooting but it it is something you, you think about when it was shot and and the you know uh, a lot of queer coded uh figures included in the film um that you know makes you wonder you know what what would this film have looked like two or three years later yeah and there's also the changes within the industry like going more towards um <clears throat> stars like less of like these like unknown models and more being like of like supermodels like that change right. in the industry yeah. um uh which i think some of the articles wrote about but um yeah well uh do you want to talk briefly about Serafita's diary i guess we should i mean i mean <laughs> <laughs> we watched it <laughs> so i want to save it for another episode with the guest to talk <laughs> No, let's, Do two let's hours knock it out. <laughs> well, I mean, it's you know, like uh, we we talked very briefly with Robert about it, but I think it's interesting, you know, thinking like his approach might have been to combine these two films into one. You know, you have yeah. Apollonia, the model being directed, and Apollonia as Serafita reflecting on her career as a model. Um, mm. You know, I think that these films are completely tied together i think there's there's really no way to watch seraphita except in relation to model uh mm-hmm. or, or if you do <laughs> it'd probably be uh weird and Less confusing yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i do really like that there's like this uh funny intermission <laughs> like <laughs> i mean they're they're like things to enjoy in it oh yeah, yeah. uh you yeah, know i don't dislike it yeah the it, it, it it's just like i i think 
they were having fun. You know, the costumes obviously are kind of the stars for me, just like all of these insane outfits and, and the set pieces. Um, it, it took a while for me to get on its wavelength, I would say. It was like a bit uh, insufferable yeah. to start, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, he's, I mean, he's playing like, He's playing with ideas just as he is a model of like what's real and what's not. Like Ap- obviously Apollonia isn't a real actor, but here here she is acting. Did you, uh, do you all... know if Serafita is a real person? I I didn't know either. Yeah. Uh, about that either, but I mean, Wiseman took credit for ad- adapting. I noticed. Something. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which could but... just be like a cheeky joke too. Yeah, yeah. Know, yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, the, the ideas of artifice and, and artists are flipped here. And I appreciate that we, we get, like, an interiority of the laboring model, um, her thoughts about performance as a model, and um, just, you know, a distinctly different type of performance than we see in model. Um, and it's uh, it's worth noting that Wiseman didn't do the sound on this film because mm. he, he, he wanted to, to, play, to pay sole attention to directing. Um, but also thinking about Wiseman's ideas about working in Hollywood and how he like wanted to and um, wanted to make fiction for a long time and that we have like his fiction film here and it's just like so against the pleasures of what Hollywood cinema is, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the thing about him not doing the sound and focusing on directing, it's just interesting to see him flex some different muscles, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and really... Uh, actively construct a whole scene with sets and you know costuming and everything like to yeah with lighting and and to direct an actress in like a very explicit you know direct way it's just like not something we see but it's maybe something that uh, a desire that was within him that maybe the process of making model and watching all of these stage productions like brought out of him uh the desire to to fulfill that um but i mean there's still some things in here that that bear the weissman touch as as you know uh fanciful and constructed as they are uh, as it relates to model like the the scene where uh apollonia is like playing an interviewer uh interviewing seraphita herself you know she she, apollonia plays every character in this Mm -hmm. movie um but like that uh um, recalls Weissman's technique and model of shooting interviews in order to get the interview answers that he would never get because he doesn't shoot interviews, you know? So like yeah. there, there's some stuff being carried over some techniques like rhetorically being carried over, um, that are just interesting to note. Yeah. Um, and I would say <clears throat> if you're really interested in Seraphita, you should read Barry Keith Grant's, uh, chapter on it because, I think that's probably as in-depth as anyone will ever <laughs> write about <laughs> Seraphita's diary. Bless his heart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, w- challenge anyone uh, else interested in it to do so. This should be yeah. their first wise one. This should be... be and see, this is your yeah. entry point. Yeah. Entry and exit point. <laughs> G- guy who's only seen Seraphita watching Titty Cut Follies. <laughs> Getting a lot of Seraphita diary vibes from the- <laughs> <laughs> well with that uh you can email us at wiseman podcast at gmail 
Do you have anything else to say, Arlen? I don't know. I mean, we could go on and on. I have so yeah, many I notes and like highlights here. I mean, like it, it's, I hesitate to say that it's like his densest film up until this point, but Cherfita, I should. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Serafita. Um, but like, um, I think it is, it's, you know, it's I, I, very dense, it, yeah. it, like there's just so we've, we've said it a bunch of times and we will say it with Robert, but like, there's just so much going on and there's, uh, so much, so many opportunities for engagement and meeting making and repeated viewings. I mean, like I, I watched this like three times in the past week. Um, yeah, you know, it's crazy. And like, you know, pulling out different stuff every time. Um, but like, I think, you know, we, we talked about last week or not well, it was last week, but last episode, um, you know, maneuver being this, another capstone, a capstone to the seventies, a capstone to military films, a capstone, uh, to this kind of sparse, uh, approach. Um, but like this model is the start of something new. Like it's very lush it's very rich. Uh, it indulges in like visual pleasures in a way that his films m- more often don't. Um, and what better way to end end that film than with "Strike Up the Band"? Amazing, just like amazing. Uh, like, well, first the good fortune, you know, that that yeah. happened. Uh, I guess this was the Oscar De La Renta runway show, um, but like, which also starts out just. Uh, the soundtrack's all Gershwin and uh, you think about like uh, what we conceive of now to be like a runway show that's like very chic and like modern and hip and like that didn't really seem to be the vibe here at all you know like um, which was interesting to note but yeah when when Strike Up the Band comes on you know uh, uh, your head explodes (laughs) (laughs) because you spent an entire film thinking about image production and Weissman's body of work and uh, uh, like ideologies and uh, all so many things. And then like, you just have to throw your hands up in the air at the end and be like, (laughs) it's everything. This movie's everything. (laughs) It goes all the way back to the beginning of the, the project. And like, like, you know, I just, I have to give it, give it to Fred uh on, yeah. on a job well done because like at that point you're just you're just like what 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 is there to say um except everything yeah. we've already said and <laughs> are about to say in the second half <laughs> yes and with that um i hope you enjoy our talk with robert i'm sure you will um and we'll see you next time Bye. it says here that that they've moved this whole film crew in and they're filming in this town you know after this thing has happened so what you're doing, all these thoughts you have thought before, all right, so they've, they've been in here, you've seen things, you've observed them, you've recorded them, and now you're going to play them back. You are verbalizing what you thought, okay? And one thing that you say kind of ticks off something else until you build on it, okay? And you start by saying, he's so full of shit. I mean, you're really, this is just shit.
So that, so that sets a mood for you. So kind of set the mood, and then you, you become so defensive. You say, not only is it full of shit, it's just a publicity stunt. You know, it's, it's just an attempt to get our, our name on the evening news. And that's all it is. It's all contrived. It's all a bunch of bull. And so you're really kind of angry about it. You know, because this has happened in your little peaceful town, and it's destroyed that, that you know, kind of passive, quiet, uh, pleasant town that you're a part of. Because you are a reflection of that town. So now, now think about that. Do, just do right down to here. Stop right here. Read just down to there. You know, it's like after a, a flood or after a fire. And it's bad enough, the, the thing itself is bad enough, the event itself is bad enough, but then the media comes rolling in, and then suddenly these people are suffering and they're on television, and they're in the newspaper, and they're in magazines, and, and they're, becoming, they're becoming heroes, they're becoming folk heroes because they've suffered. And that really makes you mad, it really pisses you off. And you're saying that in essence, okay? Just try it. And do it to me like I'm the man from the television camera. Just take a little bit of the time, you don't have to do it all. It's so full of shit. This whole thing is just a publicity stunt. I mean, everybody in this town is just so full of crap. They just love this st flood stuff because it's the only thing that ever happens in this dump. It's so boring. They just wait for floods. I mean, look at them. All right, now listen. Tragedy and comedy are very close. They're almost the same thing. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. Uh, we're here with our guest, Robert Green, uh, filmmaker of... Uh, procession, actress, there's B-17, many others, um, a uh, nonfiction filmmaker and also an editor. Um, but Robert, you're, uh, uh, thanks for being here, uh, to begin with, but you're, you're kind of known for your Wiseman fandom as far, as far as filmmakers go. Like you, you've been very outspoken about, uh, your admiration of his work. Your reputation precedes you. Well, I, I mean, I I think the think first of all thank you for having me it's really fun to do this um really nice to to meet you guys um I uh yeah I mean when I first met Frederick Wiseman is when he was walking out of the door of uh the Walter Reed Theater in New York and I told him I was probably like 23 years old or something and I said Hello, uh, Mr. Wiseman. You've met. You've made more masterpieces than any artist in history. <laughs> and he and his characteristic response, of course, was uh, "Thank you," yeah. which is a which is a ridiculous thing to say to him. <laughs> and it, yeah. and his response, of course, is ridiculous. And and that set the tone for you know. By that point, I'd only seen fifteen of his films, maybe you know. So um, I was just a I was just a rookie, you know, comparatively. But now it's gotten to the point where um, you know, I can tell watching like his transition scenes, which shots he thinks are the prettiest because he cuts <laughs> them the shortest. And, and probably you guys can relate to this. Like you start to understand the rhythms of his editing and then over different eras. And, and it, and it's almost like an uncle that I'm too familiar with that <laughs> I get it. I, I also get annoyed with, you know, so like that's, he's, uh, he's the, probably the most important. Um, I mean, I, I got a lot of, filmmakers that I would put in that upper echelon of like influential filmmakers. But for me, yeah, he's, he's the top, top of the tops. <laughs> That's funny. Just, uh, you, you talking about like the shots that he thinks are the prettiest. Cause I, I just read recently, um, an interview with John Davey for like Monrovia. And I think he, he was like insisted 
John David did, insisted that they get like these pretty shots of the fields and stuff that like Wiseman usually doesn't usually like indulge in that much. But. Yeah, well, he sometimes, especially like a film like Belfast, Maine, or something. It's there. He uses. It's almost like why do you need five shots of the same sunset? you know, and then make the prettiest one the shortest. It's, it's, it just shows his brain. I mean, he's just like, ah, I, I don't need that, you know, da, da, da. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, what, what I love, that's what I love about watching his films though, is that is there's all this dumb language tossed around about what he's doing, you know, objectivity and all that. It's bu- obviously we know that's bullshit, but it's, it's, um, it's deeply subjective what he's doing. It's deeply, you know, the way he talks about his own work is that, you know, these are theory. He, he's coming up with theories of the footage that he that he that he was uh, looking at at the dailies, basically. And he comes right. up with a theory about what these dailies mean. And then he's displaying that theory for you, the, the viewer. Or actually, he doesn't even really care about you, the viewer. He only really cares about, you know, working it out in his own head. And then he, you know, puts it on the screen, whether you whether you get it or not. He I feel like he doesn't care, you know, so so you're you're watching. I mean, you're you're watching an artist who's completely insular in their work uh, in a miraculous way. And somehow that makes him the greatest uh, observer of everything that we've ever done. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't even, and, and, and that sort of contradiction is um, yeah. what I find so attractive about his work, I think. So how did you get into Wiseman? Like, what was your introduction? So I, uh, I remember that my prof- I had a professor at North Carolina State University, um, Joe Gomez, who incidentally is like the pe- one, uh, an expert of, about, about the work of Peter Watkins and knows Peter Watkins very well. Another one of my heroes, uh, another, one, another person introduced to me through Joe Gomez. Uh, and Joe showed um, Titicut Follies for a subversive film class, like, which is mm-hmm. the greatest class I've ever taken, basically, like... They, Derek German's Blue and the, the you know Ken Russell's The Devils and a whole bunch of other films that were like miracles for me to witness and see, and um, and you know Titicut Follies was one of them. And then uh, a couple years later, I moved to New York and I started working at Kim's Video on St. Mark's Place. And uh, my friend Sean Price Williams, uh, he he was like a weird. Um, you, sh- you have to get Sean on here if he'll ever agree to do it because Sean, Sean, like when he was in high school, taped uh, taped Wiseman films off of PBS on the VHS. <laughs> so like oh, yeah. he was he was into it before anybody else. Like before, like as a high school student, which I was not that smart and and into it then. But basically at Kim's, we were very well known for having illegal, you know, mm-hmm. bunch of illegal stuff. And Wiseman would actually, I, I'm pretty sure he would have people come and check and see if we were renting out his tapes. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but I, you know, I still have like, I'm looking at my shelf right now. I have the Belfast, Maine that was copied from Sean's Belfast, Maine. And, wow. and like, I have, I have several of his old VHS tapes that he copied for us and shared with us. Awesome. And then we would go, then we'd go to like, you know, my, my buddy, Ronnie Bronstein, whose film Frownland just got announced for, you know, Cri- mm-hmm. Criterion, like we go watch films at his place. Like I did that a couple times. I went, you know, like, so Wiseman was just, it, it was just that it was, you know, 2000. Um, we were like, you know, it was, we were very aware at that point that you couldn't really see Wiseman films unless he made him, made you able to see them. Mm-hmm. And or if you called them on PBS at the time, and which I did, I you, you could catch a couple. 
and we I just got completely immersed and watched as many as I could. And then and then there was that retrospective that I just mentioned when he walked out. I don't even remember. I think maybe that was like two thousand two or something. Uh, so that so yeah, and and that they played so many things then, and and it was that was a miracle. Yeah, you you uh, mentioned Watkins, and I know um, Edward Bunch is big for you. Um, yeah, I've also read you talk about. Uh, salesman and the Maisels and Herzog and the cruise and American movie. And I'm just really excited to talk to you. Cause like the, that's the best, those are the best <laughs> ones, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's um, great, especially that era too. It's a great, it's a great yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but like, I think it's, it's really interesting that you're, you know, among other things are, are known for your, um, uh, just being a Weissman fan, um, given, you know, the mode of documentary filmmaking that you've come to be known for, uh, especially, you know, and your, your more recent films. Um, so can, can you just talk about, you know, when I, I think I can sense like nobody wants to reinvent the wheel that Weissman's put in motion and has been doing, you know, for almost 50 years or whatever um but you know what what about his um filmmaking informs your own yeah well that's i i had the i mean this feels like a brag because it was the greatest moment of my life but i got to sit on stage with him and talk to him uh, at indiana university one time right. just a one-on-one conversation i did not remind him of the nerd session <laughs> where i, where I I vomited praise all over him, but, um, but I, the answer to your question lies in the conversation that we had, but, you know, I, I, I have always thought about his films as being about a mode of performance, uh, in, in various ways. So, um, I think he is an incredible editor of performance. I think he crafts the way we see interactions between people in incredible, incredible ways. And obviously people like John Davy, like his collaborators are a big part of that, certainly. But in terms of crafting documentary performance, I don't think there's anyone better. Um, but then I, you know, when you're making, he's made these films all, of course, about institutions. So what you're watching is you're watching people perform their jobs. That's very, very obvious, right? But that's the topic of the, each film, in, in a sense, is actually like, what does it mean to perform each side of the desk of welfare? What does it mean to be the person seeking help? And what does it mean to be the, the sort of representative of the city, representative of the state, representative of government, who is performing the role of administering help or not, basically, you know? And all welfare is, is it, a bunch of two-handers, essentially, and some, you know, not necessarily one-on-one, because there's sometimes it's three people or not. Or, and, and the way that he crafts the films, he puts the, he puts, uh, performance ahead of other things. Now, when he talks about it, he says, there's no performance in my films. I don't know what you're talking about. I filmed for six weeks. Uh, you know, he said even, I, 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 I told the, the, when we did this talk at Indiana University, I was like, look, like, he's not going to watch my movies. I don't even want him to, you know, it's supposed to be a, du- I, but I'm a, I'm pretty, I know, I know his stuff so I can talk about his stuff. And then he goes in the middle of the conversation, something like, well, it's not like what you're doing in actress. And literally like I started to like black out and, and, and I was just like, what, did, what did you just say? And then I, so I, and I was just, I almost like didn't even want to hear what he had. To, I mean, I was like, I, I, whatever that meant. I mean, he probably just thought Brandy was cute. And so he watched the film for that reason. Um, but, but I, but I, 
for, so for me to, that's a long winded way of answering your question, which is that I feel like his work is about the intersection of the, the documentary camera and the way we perform versions of ourselves for that camera and in society. And that's what you're seeing. That's what you're, that's what you're, that's what makes it so mesmerizing. And even if he denies that there's anything performative about his films at all, he, because I mean, he just comes from a different generation because I mean, think about this. He, he, he walked into a high school in Philly filmed for whatever amount of time. And then they were like, you can't do that. And he was like, yes, I can. I'm a journalist. You know, I'm, I'm doing this for public, public broadcasting. You can't stop me. And then he goes and goes into his edit room and then says, well, I'm not a journalist or of, I'm, or a documentarian, even I'm a novelist, you know? And like, so he's just, he's the, he's shifty in the way he describes his work because he doesn't want to be stopped. Basically he doesn't, and he doesn't want the moment that you say it's all performance, then somehow I think his old school brain clicks into like he didn't get something authentic, which is not what mm. I would say at all. I think right, right. there's nothing inauthentic about his films. So that's that's a I, I to me when when I recognize what what I felt he was doing, that's where I felt like I could jump off from that. Yeah, I think you know, and I think it's really fortuitous that we have you for this film. Uh, as it pairs also with Serafita, uh, because, you know, your mode is very self-reflexive, right? And, and model is, you know, constantly reminding you that you're watching a movie and Weissman always says, you know, I make movies, you know, he doesn't like this term documentary and he's like, I make a movie like anyone else, you know? And one of the things we talk about uh, a lot on this series is that the ways he draws upon, like, uh, conventional narrative film grammar to like inform meaning in his films and this came up for me revisiting bisbee with uh, your shot of monument valley you know you are invoking a whole history of the western uh, uh to to invoke your film with meaning and um as it relates to model something in bisbee uh, just maybe this can draw us into the film a little bit uh, that really resonated with me was this sort of um, the tombstone like theme park uh, in the adjacent town right like this idea of like uh, a tourist or like alternate history that's like more palatable um, but is also asking the viewer to like recognize your film Bisbee 17 as a construction you know that where choices are made and a history is being written and performed in a way not entirely dissimilar to the theme park town but for you know entirely different aims yeah I mean uh, it's um I think model is one of, you know, among his masterpieces, one of my, one of my favorite to talk about because it proves that what my thinking about what his films are is actually true in a way, you know, <laughs> and I, I, it's incredibly flattering for you to mention our work next to that, but I almost can't even, you know, to me, <laughs> it's like, you know, I just studied model and then it's just so ingrained in the DNA that a scene like that tombstone scene just feels almost like it comes from another person almost like it's like <laughs> I'm channeling another, like an, it, it, the influences are so absolute there that I don't even, I don't even know, but that's, but that's fine because that's the kind of films I'm, I make. Whereas, whereas there's something sort of original, totally original in the way Wiseman does it. I mean, to me, 
you know, and I love pairing it with Serafita's Diary, which I've finally watched for the first time. I was, I'd seen it like we'd put it on at Kim's and watch it like while we were, you know, doing other things. But like, I never really sat down and watched it, and I hate I hate it. It's, just so, <laughs> it's like un, it's on, but it. But what I love about it is that in conversation with model, right? It it is the place where he allows himself to play with performance in a different way, and I think that that has a lot to do with uh, where we are politically in 1980. Um, For sure, my my probably my favorite of all Wiseman's films is The Store, which is which is the next one he made. Um, and, and there's, there's a lot of interesting parallels there, but yeah, to me, like the first question for model is why is it not called fashion? Mm-hmm. Totally. It's, yeah. It, right. It's an interesting question. I mean, why right. do you guys think, I, I mean, I have my theories, but why do you think it's not called fashion? Well, I think it also could have been called beauty, right? Or sure. something like, or like those lines. I was thinking like agency. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, agency would be an interesting yeah, one. Yeah. 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 I mean, to me it's, it's because he's playing with like the like the noun model like something that is an approximation uh an empty approximation you think about like a model home uh or a model airplane um and sort of like the soullessness of that and the way that he plays with you know mannequins this image of the mannequin and the way that the actors are or the the models are talked to you know, like the the doll, like called doll. Uh, yeah, right. well, there, there's literally a scene where the the guy says, um, "Light, you know, at, no, 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 do it like you're in a Bloomingdale's window, like you're right, a mannequin." Yeah. I mean, yeah. literally, he's directing three. I think it's three women mm-hmm. in being photographed, and he says, "Just be a mannequin." I mean, it's <laughs> which is yeah. I, to me, it's like it's the film is about systems of images, right? So it's about mm-hmm. systems of images and what they project. It's a it's a very pro wrestling film to me in a way <laughs> because like because the thing I love about wrestling is that it reveals our worst instincts because. It like the the original sort of conception of pro wrestling. Now it's sort of corporatized and and mainstream in a different way. But it used to like you know give you what, the whole model of wrestling is to give you what you want. So uh, it, so that you you know um, pay ticket prices to see the end of the story, and then the end of the story begets another beginning of a story. But the whole but the cheap the cheapest it's like the cheapest form of marketing imaginable. Mm. And in model, that's what you're kind of seeing, especially with that extended sequence of the um, the the commercial shoot on the on the streets with the going down yeah. the stairs. All right, sweetheart. The only thing wrong with that that reversal was that as you come down here, you're looking around as you go. You know, and you come here and you just stop for a second and then go. You know, it should look just a very slight pause. In other words. Don't walk down the steps, kind of trip down, you know, and then just stop. That was good. Yeah, yeah. And the whole bump in the street. You're you're literally, especially because that guy, the the commercial director in that sequence, is such an asshole, and he's yeah. he's using Sean some of the language you're talking about, like you know, baby and and sweetheart and doll <laughs> and all this other stuff, and just this like total misogynistic language. But he's but it gets deeper than that, and over the course of the fifth, I I feel like that sequence it's 15 minutes long and it and it is the it is the thesis for why Wiseman's films are the length that they are because mm. every other filmmaker would pick one part of that extended sequence 
And yet, through the through the watching of that fifteen minutes, which oh, I've, I swear only Wiseman would do that. Only Wiseman would would extend that sequence like that to be that long. You you get. I mean, we're watching the construction of a capitalist ideal. Like we're we're. we're oh, I just dropped my thing here. Just, my I'm, my cat has suddenly decided to sit in my lap while I'm doing this, and <laughs> she loves she loves zooms. Um, no, but we're watching we're watching like th- this imaginary New York, which is so powerful because yeah. the re- so much of the film is about real New York. Like that's right, what those, yeah. right. those street scenes are doing this work of showing us what actual NYC looks like, and it's it's a it's a conflicted place, right? Yeah. But but this fake New York driven by this asshole guy, it's like this it the the entire film is like this system of images that have their own sort of internal laws, right? Like, and they're, these internal laws are, uh, sort of, um, negotiated by these, these middlemen and women that are judging everything on, you know, like weight and height and makeup right. and, and gestures and hair cuts and be more active in this photo. You know, so it's, it's just, his, this is the film that's about systems of images more than any other Wiseman film. And for me, it's like, it's the decoder ring for all the other films in, mm-hmm. in a strange way, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, just before we get into that scene and these ideas, which are very key, um, just back, back to the idea about the title, you know, I was thinking about when I was asking myself this question about Weissman's body of work. And I think the only other instance where we're, the title references like an, a laborer rather than the institution is primate. Um, yeah. and, th- and thinking about, uh, I guess, you know, the double entendre that could have been with agency here, uh, or, you know, the oh, lack, sure. the lack thereof, you know, between um, sure. the models and the primates at, at Yerkes. Um, you know, I think, I think there's something being said there, uh, in, in focusing on the subject of, institutional ideology rather than uh the institution necessarily itself um but this uh scene the scene on the steps i mean is is super key in what you're talking about with ideological production you know throughout this film we there there are all these looks right that that we're are being described like they have they they say like I want someone all American, yeah, Avon, sporty, but particularly all American repeated like four or five times throughout. And like, when you think about what you were saying, like the political times on the horizon, right? Like this is 79. We're about to go into like a terrible era, especially for New York city. Um, like the, you know, the idea of all American isn't innate and static, right? It didn't come from, you know, up on high, it's it's a cultural production, and the way uh, Weissman is giving us, like, he's peeling back the curtain here and like showing us how this ideology is produced and the needs that it serves, and it's it's really ironic, right? Coming from you know New York City, this supposedly like you know leftist bastion, as we hear that one <laughs> photographer, you know, describe. Right. But, you know, here we are, like, undertaking the work of capitalism. Right. And and like perpetuating these ideas of what is what it is to be all American and what it is not to be all American. And, you know, when you say that, why is it that you get like a white blonde, you know, five, eight woman in your head? Right. And it's all because of this. Um, so like in that stair scene, when we get like um, 
these great shots of like the help from the second and third floor looking down from below right it's like they they exist in a bubble and everything uh threatens to to puncture that bubble and like weissman is showing us just like the way that that they're doing similar things again of like like the tombstone town and and your film and dealing with the deportation but uh the aims are different and the framing is different and what is excised and included are totally different um but it's all like you're saying image production it's just funny to talk about this film because like you can just like single out one scene and then you are just like charlie at the wall with like the dot like everything is connected (laughs) yeah and you're just like where do you want to go um (laughs) But that, like, that uh, street, um, that street scene, which uh, thanks to Stephen Mamber, who noticed that the that guy, the director, is the guy who shot the uh, cultural, the the Harlem cultural footage, festival footage, um, that was used in the Questlove doc last year. Oh, that's um, fantastic! I did not know that. That's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's amazing. But um, there, there's a couple things. One of the 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 New Yorker review was talking about like this idea of New York being shot as like where everything's just moving like smoothly around them. Um, but you have like all of these takes just being like redone. Like you're showing how hard it is for them to create like a sense of like spontaneity. And meanwhile, you just have these people around them just moving around being spontaneous. Yeah. Um, that just creates this great irony. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the thing that struck me this time watching it was like, the system, the language is, is so, you know, um, specific, right? So that's the kindest word we could use. There's a whole, whole, you know, and, and Wiseman, like in every sort of, uh, time he's looking at a system, he wants you to understand the language of that system, right? So whenever any institution, you have to understand the language of the institution. That's why people joke about like meeting scenes, but meeting scenes are where you, where it's entirely about the language of the institution. And it takes a really long time for you to really grapple with what, how much language of the institution guides the decisions of the human beings within that institution. Here we have all this like commentary about, about the surfaces, but then it's very clear to me that what he, you know, one of the messages, if, and I, and I, and I hesitate to use that word because that's not really how his films function, but it is that these systems affect all those people that are walking the streets and they, they affect us. They affect like this is, this is Guy Debord level, you know, uh, stuff talking about, you know, the, the construction of images and the, and the, and the effective advertising. And I even find it even, I mean, so that, yeah, so that sequence where we're seeing all these people watching this unfold and the lack of spontaneity and the, and the inability to capture ju- the, the, the quick glance as you walk down the street or, you know, the, this artificial New York that's being created by, I love this. I love when he goes to the, when he's talking to the guy who runs into the girl in the street and he says, just, just do me a favor and have a set. You got a watch on? No. Oh, pretend you do. Lies within lies, you know? Yeah. yeah. Because of course you need, you need a watch or else you're not a good capitalist and you're not running to your next, you know, board meeting or whatever. Right. And it's like, and then, and then this is, since this is 79 and it comes out in 80, you, you, it is so important to understand that we are watching the changeover from the Carter years to the Reagan years, right? And we're and and we're watching 
you, you know, the morning in America is not quite as clear, but the the city on the hill mythology of Reagan is very clear. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Re- Reagan's very the the idea that there that we are this beacon, and in order to construct the lie of the beacon, you have to construct the image of of what that looks like, and you that's have what to think. He, you that's have to think young seeing. executive, not man standing. <laughs> the corner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and what and, and you know and then not to jump too far into it, but you know what I love about the film though is there are moments where Wiseman is basically saying like, well, how am I any different? You know, like there's there there are sequences <laughs> where he gives up his entire well. So so let me just I just want to talk through this one sequence. This is just it's so extraordinary. So like, sure. fifty nine minutes in that song. <laughs> And there's a there's a whole photo sequence there, and Wiseman is basically does what he does best, which is he uses the styling of other. And it's it's you know it's not just him. Obviously, it's it's John Davies shot this film, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Davies making all these decisions, but Wiseman's using it in the edit, right? So he's using their expressive lighting to for his yeah. own purposes, right? While pop music is playing, which is great. Then there's three conversations that go back to sort of the gatekeepers with the models. Then there's another photo shoot, which then goes even closer. So he basically goes from like using their expressive lighting to then like frame within a frame uh, of another photo shoot while another pop song plays throughout the entire thing. So he just laid the Mm -hmm. pop song in Mm -hmm. and edited to it. And then at one point, the the actual photograph that they're creating becomes the entire image that Davey yeah. is capturing. So he's basically giving up his entire – Wiseman is giving up his frame to this other idea of images. And then, of course, that's followed by <laughs> uh, um, a conversation with um, – Andy Warhol about reality and illusion, (laughs) which then is followed by a sequence where documentary filmmakers are interviewing models. And it's just like, like to me, that sequence, which is about, let's see, it's about 54 minutes to like, that's another like 15 minute sequence or so. That is like, you put that against any sort of, uh, 15 minute sequence in the history of documentary and tell me that, that he doesn't understand the the sort of um, uh, molecular sort of complexities of making nonfiction. Everything is fake. Everything is real, and it's all combined together. And that's what makes meaning. Period. And it, it's just it's that's why I, I really do feel like if you're going to start watching Wiseman, you could start here, then watch To the Cup Follies, and, and then go on. <laughs> yeah, and come back. I <laughs> keep going. Um, but this this idea, right, about, like, the images is so interesting, and it's, seduct- it's seductive, I think. Uh, they're, they're showing the danger of these images, like, the pleasures of them, uh, because there are shots uh, where... Davy must have just been smack next to the to the commercial shoot camera, uh, and it almost looks like the model's looking right at us, you know. And they're benefiting from you know this low key lighting. They're benefiting from the makeup, you know. You you look at this film and you're like, this looks good, right? Like, <laughs> you know. And well, yeah, you got like a whole team of technicians on the wings that Weissman never has available, creating like these optimal uh, uh, conditions for shooting. Uh, which is something we don't have anywhere else. 
but as as it relates to what you're saying about like you know Weissman's self consciousness here, uh, maybe it's time to talk about like these these numerous explicit callbacks to his earlier work. Um, we get like a, sh- a complete recreation of the closing shot from Hospital of Metropolitan Hospital towards yeah. the beginning of the film. Um, there's of course uh, strike up the band over the fashion show that closes the film, which is so just good. like such like a galaxy brain, like Vince McMahon laser eyes moment. Um, and uh, I even caught um, for, I, I assume this has to be the reason it's in there. Cause I couldn't imagine there being another reason, but there's an awning for a restaurant called monastery restaurant, <laughs> uh, which I, I imagine has to reference a scene. Um, but I think each time he's again, telling the viewer, like, like, look, I'm doing this too. You know, I am an image maker. I am, uh, a, a producer of like, you know, cultural ideology. Um, I'm not, I guess, you know, maybe not innocent isn't the right word, but, um, you know, our, our methods here are the same. Um, and you know, why is it maybe this is the question he's asking, why is it that this is the kind of dominant cultural form that we all know and recognize and not, uh, all this stuff that I always do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a competitive, I, I, I think he respects the work too. I mean, I think on some, I mean, it's it's not. I don't think it's too uh, um, uh, problematic to admit that you know Frederick Weisman loves beautiful women. I mean, he's it's like it's it is, and I think that I think there's some aspect of this that is introspecting, you know, sort of introspective of that, and sort of uh, dissecting his own sort of gaze, basically, you know, which I think you see later in Crazy Horse, which I don't think is I don't think is one of his best films, but I do think is is interesting in, in sort of dissecting his gaze and the way that he uses other cameras to, hmm. you know, to sort of, uh, talk about the, the gaze. Right. So, yeah. um, I think that's not, that is, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of self-commentary going, I mean, the, the self-references are, you know, to me, I, I always, I think of, I think he thinks of these things as games, you know, like, I mean, not unlike a lawyer might think of a case as a game, right? Because like, like you, you, uh, that's the only way to sort of get through it almost is like, is, is to have fun with those inter, you know, like, like for example, there's tons of moments where, you know, you're filming the outside of, uh, what, what is it? It's, we're filming the outside of, um, the Gucci store, and then it's blocked by a truck that said South Seas Seafood Corp that just <laughs> goes right in front of it. You know, there's all those like, like to me, that's just like, did 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 you notice? Or you, yeah. you have a then, and the very next shot is like a couple looking up at a mannequin, and this guy walks by with a piece of furniture that looks like it's like broken, you know, broken piece of furniture or something. It, it there's all those sort of perceptual games of like. Of look at the beauty, look at the falsity, look at my work, look at their work, and and if you think you can say that there's a difference, you know, then then you're probably being too precious about what Mm. you think I'm doing. You know, like like there's a lot of that going on. Do you? But do you think that he respects the documentary crew with? Oh, definitely not. Oh, that's no, no, no. I think he, I think he respects the photographers. Actually, I don't, and I think that you can see that by how he, the how much processing we see, 
right? Yeah. Like, because he could, he could lean into another aspect of it, but because mm-hmm. we see so much of the, and I think you could actually, you could probably like say there's like five or six photographers featured throughout the film. I think you could probably pick the ones he likes and pick the ones he doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, based on how he's presenting them. He hates the documentary crew. No doubt about right. it. I mean, that the shower scene is one of, is so painful. Like just, just, just such a painful, like, this is not how you should make anything. And Davey like shoots into the mirror and shoots it like that for a while and then zooms out. It's so good. Yeah. I I like this, this framing though, of it being a bit of a game for him. Um, cause there, there was another bus ad, uh, that shows up briefly that just says 50 years old and still going places. Uh, (laughs) when Weissman shot this, he was 49 when he was editing it though, he would have been 50. And I mean like what, what there is there just for like self-pleasure, you know, like (laughs) no doubt that that's why that's in there. I mean, he's got a, he's famously got a, you know, pretty twisted sense of humor, right? Like, so like that, it, it makes, it makes all these things. And, and I think he thinks, why wouldn't you, think that that's what I'm doing. You know, like it, it's almost like he, you know, the fact that you picked up on that one specifically, he's going to say, of course, of course, that's what that is. You know, like, <laughs> and, and, and it's your fault if you don't get that. It's not because, you know, the, the most, the most interesting thing that I found sitting on stage with him that one time, which, you know, I still pinch myself. It's like, what the hell? But, um, is that he says, I never think about the viewer. Right. Ever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I just like, I was like, man, I'm obsessed with the viewer. Like, I, like <laughs> I'm obsessed with thinking about how a viewer might interpret work. Right. Because, because I don't really know how to do it unless it's in conversation with, mm-hmm. with um, this perceived viewer. So I'm, I'm constantly thinking about like ways in which I imagine what the viewer might think. And then I can subvert that or play with that or something mm-hmm. like that. But that's why I'm far less of an artist than he is. I mean, like, I, I mean, truly, because like, because it's like he's he's alone with a piano in a room, and he's and he's like, I'm just gonna create, and you know, you can take it if, or leave it. I don't care, you know. And it it might be six hours long, it might be seventy five minutes, but this is what I'm going to do. And this is how I see it. And these, these references are for me and yeah, I hope some people get it, but I don't really care, you know, like, like, and that's what makes, that's why you can't, I mean, I think Sean, you said like, it's one thing begets another thing begets another thing there. He's none of this is simple. Like none of this is like, it's like you, you can make, you could take his footage and edit a polemical sort of version of model that is so boring and it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, did you know that the modeling industry is bad? Did you know <laughs> yeah. that that's, that's that, Altman's predator? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> did you know that surfaces are bad and that we should be deeper? Like, you know, he, he could do that, but, but he, but he just, he, he resists that with this sort of rhythmic yeah. editing that un- constantly undercuts and complicates everything that he's doing. And you're, you're talking about how like none of it's simple, like not to, spoil it for uh too much of our audience but uh we we got to talk to to him uh recently about these first uh batch of films and arlen asked about this strike up the band thing and you know of course like you're saying like he was like oh well yeah i heard that my ears perked up or whatever and it's like yeah but like also (laughs) there's so there's a richness in the con like the contrast between like what it was used for in titica follies in this like private place where it's just like madness is happening and these people performing and then like 
you're in this place where like they are there for the public to be consumed and it's like fancy and and uh it, it's it's very rich and it's like hard to even like talk about it in a way that is worth like I mean, it, it, it speaks for itself somewhat. And like, I can just keep coming back to this and, and think of different ways that they play off of each other. Um, that is not just like, oh yeah, of course. Like I heard this and I remember using it before. So I figured I'd use it again. <laughs> well, you got to think too uh, about that in particular. You know, this is Strike Up the Band is the first scene of his first movie. And this is the last right. scene of right, his exactly. most recent movie too. And like, it's like, you know, Bridgewater has expanded outside of Massachusetts right. to uh, consume us all. You know, we, we are all <laughs> inmates. At least that, you know, that that's, I feel like the logical inclusion of that use. Um, but uh, Robert, the, the thing about the audience, you know, is really interesting because you deal so much with like subversion of expectations. Um, something we talked about, like in, in the last episode about maneuver, the way that Weissman builds up these expectations of like a com- like final conflict um and then doesn't give it to us you know or is this something you're like explicitly dealing with and kate plays christine something that uh one of the wrestlers even talks about in uh fake it so real is just like you're all a bunch of like perverts or something you just want to see us get bloody or whatever (laughs) um but like you know i think i think in this film it's a like you're saying it's a little more complicated because of the seductive nature of like beauty right and it's just like uh he does give it to us right it's it's hard to make this film like just kind of totally uh ugly i guess right well yeah and i mean there's that entire so the payoff of that whole well not the complete payoff of um that the the street scene becomes this leg scene where they're right. just filming the individual legs. Well, it's not illusion. It's a mat. Actually, we, we take the one leg and we mat it over in the blue background over the second leg and then the third leg and the fourth leg, and all that happens in four seconds. So we're going to uh, check that first before we get started because we make the sandwich. Once the sandwich is made, we can't unmake it. So we, can't, we don't make one leg at a time. We layer it. We put the first leg down and the second leg on top of the first leg and the third leg on top of the other two. So we have to be very careful. Our blueprint is exactly what we want. Okay. Okay. Well, that's your problem, no? <laughs> well, we share it. <laughs> okay, we share it. And it's, I mean, you know, Apollonia is the model that's being mm-hmm. filmed there. And, of course, the, the commentary, you know, that you can take away from that is the idea that it's supposed to be a bunch of different pe- women's legs. But, of course, it's all one perfect leg repeated yeah. over and over again. And and then and then this you know jump right into Seraphita's diary like you know you could you could imagine oh I want to make a film with that person <laughs> like I want, totally I want, like like there, he there, fell there under the a, spell yeah there is a seductive quality to I mean th- that, there's a th- that sequence is I really like looking at this person you know I mean and it goes back to Godard's you know thing about you know all you need is a girl and a gun well I mean Wiseman's like all you need is a girl you know (laughs) I can I can can film this person for a really long time and I feel like Seraphita's diary can only be understood as I would like to make a film with this person basically like that's pretty much all you can really really in my mind take from that and and then I think he wanted to experiment and I think it's interesting that he pretty much I mean it was was did they film model first right Mm -hmm. and then seraphita it's it what a fascinating thing that he would follow up model with a with a staged performance piece you know and then would follow that up with the store 
which then is almost like the richer, it's even richer to me in terms of uh, signs and signals about the Reagan era, of, of course, in Dallas and in 1983, but, um, but it, it, that's an interesting progression. And you think about, you, you just, you just see that he's following these pursuits, almost like I'm now excited by that. And I, and, and that could be yeah. pretty superficial. It could also be really interesting and deep and like, and, um, and he's explore like it, it, he's exploring this thing. And it, to me, it's more like, I feel like what I love about Wiseman is every time you think he's going in a certain direction, he will shift, right? So after these Reagan films about performance, he goes into the, the multi-handicap films, Blind, and, and which are total shifts after the racetrack, like total shifts in perspective. And basically then says, you know, I don't care about images. I don't care about surfaces. I care about this little boy who has to deliver a letter uh, in an Al- in the Alabama school for the blind and blind. And, and I'm going to give you a 10 minute sequence of watching this blind boy deliver a letter. And that's what we should be paying attention to because I'm tired of talking about the surfaces of model. And then model was a response to, I'm tired of talking about the military and all the, like it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's really, it's, it's fascinating to think about him as a, as a individual artist. Of course, he's working with collaborators, but an individual artist who is pursuing vigorously the his irritable uh interests you know like because he's always grumpy he's always gonna be grumpy and he and he's just like i want to do this now and and it and when you look at his career you can kind of see it so then those echoes back to Tinicut follies then they they have extra meaning for us because it's like wow like you know this shows that you were thinking deeply about your own work in this moment right so what was it like teaching a uh, model I taught an entire Frederick Wiseman class and, oh, okay. and I'm, and I'm thinking of, I'm not sure yet, but I think my next fall I'm going to teach, I teach documentary theory at the university of Missouri. Um, we, I have a, I teach at the Murray center for documentary journalism here in, in Columbia, Missouri. And, um, I think I'm going to base a lot of, uh, my documentary theory class on watching Wiseman films next, next year as well. So I'm excited about that, but it's interesting. I mean, like, you know, a lot of students uh, sort of take take the sort of male gaze stuff a little bit too literally or um, literally maybe isn't the best word, but they but they can't quite parse out the gaze stuff and what and how there is an element of criticism going on. Uh, but they get there, you know, um, and especially watching other Wiseman films. This one really does stand out because it is the most. It's it it's it seems to be to them often to students and I don't want to speak too broadly but that it's the least political for them and that couldn't be further from the truth um, right. as far as I'm concerned so I think it's just a more you know especially when you come off of I, I often show welfare and then model um, and though that combination is just a fascinating look at New York uh, in two yeah, you know yeah. two completely different views of the city. Yeah, it's it's funny. Sean found these like press uh, stills that were done for to support model of like Weissman with some of the models and with Zoli, um, uh, just kind of like give a little cheeky smile. Uh, and I was like, you know, imagine him doing that for welfare, right? It's just <laughs> like 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 the the total dichotomy in New York, like you're saying between these two films. I mean, they speak to each other, and they're also like 
probably my two favorites uh, at this at this point, at least, you know, um, but they're they're definitely in conversation. But this idea of like his interests developing, um, you know, Barry Keith Grant in, in Voyages of Discovery, he uh, eschews a, a chronological analysis of his films and, and groups them sort of thematically. And it is interesting that this film and the store also are paired with uh, Canal Zone and Sinai Field Mission. And Maneuver is, is singled out from that uh, Americans Abroad trilogy altogether with the, the military films. But thinking about uh, what you're saying, this being like an, a very political film, you know, going back to ideology, this idea of like in in uh, the Canal Zone and to a lesser extent in, in Sinai, like the the ways that the people in the film uh, must adhere to this ideology just to like kind of get them through their existence, right? And I think there's something s- similar at play here for the models and the agents and like pretty much everyone we see, right? Um, in terms of like, uh, well, you know, I'm you're not five six or you're not five seven you're five six right you know yeah. the the ideology excludes you right and for that model five, five six and a half right five yeah. six and a half oh you're well that's not it you know and, yeah. and so that model now you know the ideology uh, perpetuated by this whole apparatus is now like well I guess I have to work on my acting now <laughs> you know that's yeah that's yeah. where to go and and, yeah. and, and I mean and the ideology includes like a very heteronormative identity too which is interesting yeah. because. I think you can you can un- probably understand that there are uh, a lot of queer people being represented in the film itself, yeah. but there but there's very little queer representation in terms of what cr- images that mm-hmm. they're creating, which is fascinating because then the, the the sort of capitalistic ideal of the city on a hill, which you know is the Reagan era. Then gets gets you know becomes not just a um, not just beauty but but very heteronormative beauty or at least the the surface portrayal of hetero heteronormative beauty and and that's that's another fascinating layer to the film is is the w- that there's that one great discussion with like oh you know all my friends are liberal but as soon as you leave New York it's yeah. it's it's uh it's it's Everyone's all republicans Republican. yeah, yeah. 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 And, then, and i've had a million conversations with people in new york with that with those same kind of conversations and i'm always like because i'm from north carolina i live in missouri now i'm like well that just shows <laughs> how little you understand about the world it's, and and how it, insular yeah. new york city is you know it's a simulate it's like canal zone <laughs> it is <laughs> it's, like- it's, it's a simul it's a simulated place yeah, yeah which yeah. but 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 that's but then the, in some way because of the 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 stage the staginess and the screens within screens and the the mannequins and all these images this film feel like the the images that could be taken out of this film and put into welfare the usually the uh street images are so powerful uh in this film even more so than i would say in welfare in welfare it seems to be the point is the 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 office really goes well beyond the office right like this is uh, this is everywhere, and whether you can get in that office or not is the big challenge. And the doors, the literally the doors of that office are like this sort of like break breakthrough land, you know, monitored by police officers, you know. Um, but here, it's it, there's a poignancy to those street images that is just incredibly profound. And then you know the way that the film shows a fake protest for an ad. <laughs> 
and then ends with a real protest. I find that like I, I think the first time I saw that I burst into tears because because it because to me it was like you know this thing that I aspire to. So Arlen, to answer your real question about what I want to do as a filmmaker, it is that feeling right there when you cut to the real protest, and I am not sure is it a real protest or a, or a fake protest. And I'm thinking about the performance of politics and I'm thinking about the performance of identity. And then it's revealed to be a real protest. And then I'm thinking about the actual struggle on the streets of New York at that time and how real and grounded that is. And that, so that the performative sort of questioning doesn't reduce my emotional uh, connection to the real thing. It enhances it. And that's, I mean, that's where he does this nonstop in this film and like that's what I aspire to is something that can hit that m- mode where it's where performance doesn't mean fake performance doesn't mean distance even performance means critical thinking about what you're seeing and then this emotional reality can 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 blast you uh, and and then you have a sort of another understanding of it. Yeah, I mean. Um like something that really resonated with me and, and Barry Keith's grant writing on this film, as he says, uh, um, and I, I noted this resonates with my, uh, experience with your work as well is that it's virtually impossible to view model from an impassioned, unengaged position. And like, while I was watching this film, it's just like the neurons are firing the whole time. Right. It's like what it felt like one of the most kind of like, active engaged like revelatory like film viewings i i can recall in recent memory you know because you're just being prompted to uh create meaning and ask all these questions and investigate you know what you're looking at and and the veracity and uh versus versimilitude of everything um and it's just like you know so so much more fulfilling than uh you know here here's uh the modeling industry and why it's bad right yeah, I, you you meant we before we started recording or um, started officially. We talked about Eric Hines wrote a um, essay about actress, um, and he and he he says that you know it's a film that's always thinking, and I think he might even be quoting someone else there. Uh, that that is it, it, in terms of influence. That's that's probably you know we're getting down to the 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 sort of elemental levels that I think Frederick Wiseman is, is influential to my work. And I think many other people's work, you, the films are thinking. So when I say, when we, Mm. when we said like at the top of this, that it's so personal and it's always coming from him. And even the idea of this gamesmanship or the, the idea of like, you, you know, seeing these street scenes and the ironies that he's playing with and the way, you know, the layers of the images, it's, it's always thinking he's thinking you know, Davey's thinking in the, sh- in the shooting, then he's thinking in the editing, and then he's asking you to think as the viewer. And that's, and he's doing it in a way that can't be replicated in fiction, period. Yeah. I mean, it's not like fiction films don't ask you to think. I'm, that's stupid. But there's, there's a way that, that the assembly of captured material can be done in such a way that makes you want to investigate the sort of bare meaning of, of, of the nature of images themselves. Right. And, and, and the films are asking you to think again and again and again. And, and that is, that sort of, you know, all my favorite filmmakers, I feel like that's what they're doing. They're asking you to think. And Wiseman, Wiseman just does it in this sort of 
almost absolutist style that's that's sort of a miracle that he can pull it off yeah i mean yeah. not not and sorry just real quick not not to blow too much smoke uh robert <laughs> but like you know your form of filmmaking you know in this kind of tradition of like kiristami uh, Cynthia Scott, um, uh, you know, uh, Pedro Costa, you know, uh, and, and many others. Um, I'll throw Mike Ott in there as a contemporary. Um, but, you know, it, it feels to me like the uh, ultimate expression of the cinematic medium, you know, in terms of the possibilities and the ways of uh, that it uh, prompts viewer engagement, um, combining all of these you know, what is, what is real, what is not real fiction, nonfiction, uh, and in ways that only film can do, you know, uh, through a marriage of circumstances, marriage of sound and image. Um, but that it's just, you know, it's not possible in a, in a, in a stage play or, uh, you know, in a book or something to create these kind of same interrelations. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's to me just such a, it's the best the best kind of films are are these kind of films i I will not accept that ridiculous compliment (laughs) well to 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 cut you cut you down to size i want to hear about this uh (laughs) please uh 2017 bfi well in bfi you wrote about this like 2017 interview that you did with him via like his phone in front of uh, (laughs) students yeah yeah like yeah i mean he he should we we had this, uh, it was at Hampshire college. Um, I, we did an interview with him, uh, or sort of Q and a with him after b- watching blind. Um, and he just, I, I don't know what they were paying him, but it was an exorbitant amount of money. And he just like did it on his phone. His phone was breaking up. <laughs> it was on Skype on his phone. He was in his car and like, and then he just <laughs> argued with me about something we just watched. Like, I was like, what about that one sequence where, you know, the, where the camera gets up and moves and continues and you don't edit that. You almost, he's like, I didn't do that's not in there. <laughs> I was like, and I like looked around in the class and I'm like, um, we just watch like watch it like an hour ago. And he's like, it's, you're not, you're mistaken. Anyway, next question. And I was just like. Huh. All right. It, 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 it was, it was, I got, I feel like I got punched in the face and then, and then I, um, so then a couple of years later, so these are my, my, my interactions with him are, are, uh, have all been very charged in a way. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I go to the Champs-Élysées film festival. I think, um, I think Kate Place Christine was playing there maybe. And, uh, I land and the, the sort of, uh, frantic, uh, festival, festival organizers come up to me. I'm jet lagged and they say, we know you like Wiseman. Can you go do a Q and a for public housing in just a few minutes <laughs> in the big, the- in the big theater. Oh, and I walk into this big gigantic theater and there's literally five people there and it's just Wiseman and me and four of the people were fine. And one guy wanted to argue of nineties, uh, politics, you know, mm-hmm. about public housing, you know, the, the actual politics behind sort of, uh, Clinton era public housing questions right. that the film does not address in any way. And, and he, and whatever. And, and, but I actually impressed Wiseman there because I, I could sort of bring it back to 
his other films and I was able to talk about his other movies and I hadn't seen public housing since it came out. So I was just talking about anything I could think to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a little bit more, the, the, the one with the zoo, the Skype question, it was sort of like, you know, the whole don't meet your heroes thing. And then the, then that was more like, Oh, well you like my work. And then, you know, so you know what you're talking. He literally said in front of these five people, I mean, it might've been 20 people, but it was like very few people. He was like, you know what you're talking about. And so it's like, <laughs> and so I was, I, I could have like walked out of the building and I would have right, been, like, I, would sure. been, I would have been good. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, what a th- what a thing to say, you know what you're talking about. Cause you've clearly watched 25 of my films, <laughs> like, which is an insane sort of, you know, mic drop thing. Uh, no, I mean, like he's so like, you're saying, you know, uh, maybe grumpy, but like at least withholding, right. That when he gives you, a bit like that, uh, it goes a long way. <laughs> it does go a long way. It goes a long way. Yeah. So absolutely. did you program boxing gym at IU with that then? Uh, yeah, I think we had, I don't remember what we played, but I think, I don't think it was me programming. It was them programming. Okay. Yeah. They screened like five of the films. I think boxing gym often gets programmed because it, it's, it's, it's a normal programmable length. Um, well, sure, sure. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that's a lot of, a lot of reason why it gets, it gets, it does get played. Yeah. I love that so, film. Uh, yeah, um, it's been a while. I need to revisit it now that I've seen much more. But um, do you have any like um, Wiseman like favorites that don't get talked about much that you that you want people to really like sort of discover? Uh, Near Death is a film that everyone should watch at some point. Um, you can only really watch it one time. Um, <laughs> truly, you know. Uh, I, I love Belfast, Maine, um, which is often talked about. That's pretty much considered one of his very best films. Um, you know, I, I mean, aren't all his films sort of equally celebrated in a weird way? You know, like I said, Seraphita's diary. He said Seraphita's diary <laughs> and, and the other fiction film he made. Um, but, you know, I don't love I don't love the ballet films. I, I actually like find them so annoying um, because I really think that they don't shoot dance properly, you know, like huh. I, I don't think they shoot, but, but having said that, my, one of my favorite films is national gallery, uh, which ends with a, a dance sequence and then a series of, um, you know, images of paintings. Uh, I was sitting next to my friend and, and when it, when it was just, it's basically like a series of paintings, boom, 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 cut to credits. And I just, lost it in this in a very similar way like sometimes his the the editing the precision of the editing of his films and mm-hmm. the meaning when, when especially when he's reflecting on the nature of art which is one of my favorite things that he does in, in, in the course of his his work is reflection reflecting on the the way that we tell ourselves stories or the way that we create in national gallery literally the way that images are created and why does that affect us when he's reflecting on that, I just find it incredibly moving. And that film, mm. I think that film is a little bit maybe underrated, but I don't even know. I mean, aren't, I feel like all his films are equally right. rated as the best film ever made, you know? So yeah. um, I have seen the garden, which is a fun thing, um, I, yeah, which so good. Uh, it's really good. And it's the one time where he, it's a little, it's a, was a little bit disappointed only because um, that, you know, he filmed Stone Cold Steve Austin in his, in his prime. <laughs> yeah. And and it's not a great scene, actually. It's like one of the least great scenes. China was in there, too. China's in there, yeah, too. Yeah. And then I told, and then I made the mistake of telling Wiseman that I had gotten a copy of The Garden. And he was like, 
excuse me, what? And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. You're going to, are you going to sue, sue me right now in, in this hotel parking lot? I don't know. Yeah, no, uh, uh, we're, we're both big fans and excited to get to that one. You know, for me, particularly having, uh, Chicago Bulls gameplay footage in a Weissman film is just like the greatest yeah. thing that could possibly happen. Yeah, it's true. Uh, well, um, thank you so much for sharing um, so many thoughts and, and feelings with us. Um, and it's it's been just a, a treat. Yeah, it's, it's I, I will say that that um, to uh, even mention my own work in a conversation about Frederick Weisman seems ridiculous. Um, but I, I appreciate <laughs> the, the kind words, Arlen. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, any chance to get to talk about these films? I mean, you know, it, it was it was for a while there really not a big club of people who really got it. I mean, he, he's always had his fans. He's always been written about. Um, I, I remember, but, but he's also always had his detractors. One of my, I, Jay Oberman and, and the village voice one time wrote about like, can we just call, say he's an institution and move on and, and yeah. sort of saying all these things about like the fact that he doesn't, <laughs> you know, show himself, and show like his, you know, his process and the making of his own films. And of course I'm a filmmaker who does show their own process, but mm-hmm. the idea that Frederick Wiseman is not showing his hand constantly yeah, is just right. a total asinine reading of his work. And so, you know, it is worth noting that at, at this stage, I feel like he is an institution. He is sort of like blanket celebrated, but it, it was always, it is a fight to sort of describe what these films are and mm-hmm. he's had many detractors over the years. So it, it's a pleasure to talk about it. And I, I really, really appreciate you both it, having me. It, we uh, appreciate it so much. But if I could just retract this wind down for a second um, and, and ask you just another connection. Um, you know, your, your recent films, uh, especially, are really concerned with like history and memory. Um, and the ways that those, you know, are carried on and, and expressed in the present. Um, Weissman, you know, seems very, uh, present oriented, you know, his films have a history between them, uh, his conversation between the films and there are like implied historical contexts for a lot of his films that are extra textual that he doesn't explicitly address, address, but I'm curious if, you know, being as deep into it as you are, like, are there elements of history and memory in his work that, that you recognize? Well, I, I think there's, I think the way you described it is, is accurate. I think that there, his films are, um, radically present tense. Um, but in the, he sort of, you know, take a film like high school, the most, like the most obvious sort of political context, the, the, the sort of racism and the sexism and the pro-war sort of propaganda ideas that are going on in high school. He, he expects you as a viewer to come to that film, or maybe he doesn't give a shit, but (laughs) you should come to that um, film with a lot of knowledge about what's going on in, in the U S in 1968, 69, 70, right? Like you need to understand what these kids were being taught and why, what is the political dynamic going on? Right. So like, and, and, and I believe he knew that in leaning radically into the present tense that he is making films for 50 years from now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, 
I, I don't think there's another way to look at his work and, unless you look at it as one long connected idea, right? And to me, there, you know, he'll never admit this, but he's, he's doing, he's making a time capsule of who we are. So like it, it's the, the idea of memory and history is, 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 in, is embedded in every bit of that, right? Like, so, you know, his films are just as much about the mythologies of, of America as something like Bisbee 17 is, you know, sure. um, yeah. he doesn't have to be so upfront about it because, because what he thinks is that if you just pay attention to what they say, you will understand how we got here, why we're here. And how we get out of this mess, but you got to pay attention to what they say. And it's not, and it's not just debating budgets in a hospital. It is the, the, the things they're saying, the things they're not saying, and the legacy of every single performance that's put on for the camera. Every single word has a legacy. Every single uh, gesture has legacy. For God's sakes, welfare is, is all about the legacies of everything you think you know. Law, Law and Order is about the legacies of everything you think you know. And he's also, importantly, as, a, as an editor, constantly playing with your expectations. The first perpetrator that we see in Law and Order has to be white, right? Mm-hmm. Because he, he has to make sure that he's uh, um, you know, subverting the idea that this is Kansas City police are white and all the perpetrators are black or something like that, right? Like mm-hmm. he's constantly playing with your expectations and, and the sort of – uh, the, the, the specters of history are, are always weighing on how he's expecting you to interpret the way he's showing you images. So I think it's in, it's in every, it's every bit of it. It's there, there's, there's not a movie that isn't haunted by the past and haunted in some ways by the future, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the gift of, of a sort of radical present tense approach. You brought you brought up high school. I meant to ask uh, when you had like the the admin talking about ideology at the podium. Was that was that your? Of course. Your I mean, it's school? it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I mean, all his film. You know, the the use of speech, speeches, and meetings is is fundamental. You know, um, uh, and and I and here's a here's a like for any filmmakers listening. Um, here is a very basic influence that Wiseman should have on everybody. Um, that, you know, most of those, whenever he's filming a meeting or a, um, any kind of gathering or any kind of speech, half the shots that John Davey usually, not always John Davey, is getting are listening shots, right? And the history of cinema is the history of listening shots. Like Milos, early Milos Forman films, for example, are all listening, great faces listening to other things, right? So like filmmakers, if you want to take any lessons from Wiseman, Get more listening shots and less shots of the person talking because that's because, you know, his his uh, scene, you know, in Jackson Heights is full of listening shots. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like listening shots are the the building block of his entire idea of what a movie is, basically. Um, So I don't know if that's just like sort of bare bones, fundamental. How do you do it? How do you do it? It, Wiseman (laughs) does it the best. For sure. Well, thanks again, Robert. Yeah, beautiful notes to end on. Cool. Yeah, what is it? <laughs>
I was dispatched by Mona. Please spare a moment or two. She wanted me to find you here and sing this message to you. Clement, you are great. No debate, no mistake about it. Clement, you are swell. What the hell? Let me yell and shout it. Oh, what a birthday. What an event. You're what I call magnificent. Clement, you are brash like a flash of a thunder shower. Clement, you are hot like a shot of electric power. Had to inform you, just couldn't wait. Oh, Clement, you are great. Happy birthday to you. Oh,